you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to take them and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Am I on? Just verses 16 and 17 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 16 and 17. We've been involved uh, for most of the summer on this little series we called Reboot. We'll actually conclude that next week just for your planning's sake. <clears throat> You are God alone in the good times and bad. And you are on your throne. Just pause on that. I don't even know how many Sundays in a row that it has been an absolutely beautiful day for us to worship outside, to gather together. I'm, to be honest, I'm just stuck on God's goodness for us. I'm just, I'm just like stuck on God's grace to us. We are so undeserving, and he sees us, and he knows us, and he loves us. What a great, great group that is here this morning. We welcome you to Big Woods Bible Church. If you're uh, listening online, a special welcome to you as well. This is a text that is encouraging for us this morning. And I trust my prayer has been that you will be uplifted and encouraged through the preaching of the Word of God this morning. Before we go any further, we need to bow our heads and pray and ask for the Lord's help as we listen and learn, learn together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. We together thank you as your children as we are gathered as brothers and sisters, called out, set apart for a purpose, for your good, for our good and for your glory. We thank you, Lord, that you blessed us in amazing ways. As we just lifted up our voices, we're reminded in good times and bad times, it's you and it's you alone, and you are in complete sovereign control on your throne. Thank you, Lord, that in your grace you allow us to worship like this. Thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit not, not only is present here, which we know, but we sense your presence. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for your word that offers strength and nourishment. It is, it is milk to baby Christians and meat to mature Christians. We pray, Lord, that we would, we would put aside and put away all the frustrations and aggravations of this past week or of this week to come, and that these few moments, we would just bask and bathe in your word for us. I ask for help. Please guard and guide my mind and my mouth. May the name of Jesus be exalted. May the, the good news of the gospel be heard. And may you be glorified. We ask this in the amazing, wonderful, matchless name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. We are captivated. We are captured by the new. We love to get new stuff. What's interesting is that really, think of how many shoes that you have. 
Most people are buying shoes today not because they entirely wear out, but just because they get tired of the old and they want something new. You you wear a shirt so many times, it's not really that it's worn out totally. Like you just literally cannot even, it's so thin, but you just get tired. So you want something that is new. We live in this culture, in this world, this context that is feeding. You need a new one of these, new one of these, new one of these, new one of these constantly. Yeah, you ever um, buy, admit it, you did, okay? You know the, the new car smell? We just love the new car smell, but after a while, it doesn't smell like a new car. But you can actually buy spray, okay? And you, like, go in the car and roll up the windows, and you spray this. You're like, kids, what do you think? Doesn't it smell like a brand-new car? We are fascinated. We're captivated by the new and yet what's interesting is that oftentimes it doesn't really last today in our text before us we have the subject of newness on display i want to begin just by reading directly second corinthians chapter 5 verse 16 and verse 17 the word of the lord from now on Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, The new has come. Whenever you see that word, therefore, we know it's a connection. It draws us back to the previous verse, verses, previous text. Last week, we looked at verses 11 through 15, and it says what? Therefore, we know the fear of the Lord. We know the love of God controls us. The love of Christ controls us. As a result of that, we have concluded this, or we are convinced of this, that one, that one is Jesus, has died for all. And so that all of us who are now alive, we read what? We no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and was raised. So we have this subject, the summation of what therefore connects us back to. We are to live entirely. For Christ. Live entirely for Christ. This is not a new concept. This is not a new idea, nor should it be for a follower of Jesus. So Paul chooses to use terms like this in Romans chapter 1 that we're actually a bond servant, we're a slave to Jesus. Romans chapter 12, Paul uses this term what we are a living sacrifice. These words here in Corinthians are very reminiscent to what we learned about several months ago last year. In Philippians where it says what? For me to live is Christ. Which means what? We have to examine our own heart right now to think that every single breath we take is for Christ. Every day, every dollar, every decision is to be for Christ. Christ. So what does that look like in this particular context this morning? Paul begins with some of his own story. 
Paul begins with some of his own testimony. He says, we do not regard or we do not measure anyone according to the flesh, which means what? We're not to measure people according to the outward appearance, the physical, the visible, the tangible values that people have, the wealth that some people have, the beauty that some people have, the intelligence, the significance, or the prominence. We don't measure people. We do not what? Regard anyone according to the outward appearance. And that very idea screams in the face of every single message that is given in 21st century America. Where what? You work hard to be beautiful. I mean, there's like an endless pursuit on the outside. And yet what most of us really aren't going to make it to the cover of any magazines anytime soon. Sorry, I hate to burst your bubble on that. Some of you, what gorgeous and handsome and studly in every adjective that you could ever use to describe how amazing you are. And then when we know that, well, we're probably not as beautiful as the person next to us, we work on another area. Maybe if we study hard enough or exercise, we can be driven to succeed in some outward way so that we get attention, so that we gain people looking at us. And what's really odd is that none of that doesn't matter how beautiful, doesn't matter how rich, doesn't matter how successful. None of that ever really satisfies. What's interesting here is that Paul, in his own testimony, admits the fact, I used to do that. I, I what? I once regarded Christ according to the flesh. What does he mean by that? Well, we know that the Apostle Paul was brought up, was raised up with high Jewish standards. He was a Pharisee, so he was what brought up looking for a Messiah, the Messiah. And Paul was brought up looking for, let's just admit it, an impressive Messiah. Kingly. Wealthy. Powerful. Beautiful. And instead, what happened? We, we know the story. Instead, Jesus arrives lowly, born in the back of a barn, wrapped in rags to a poor young Jewish woman surrounded by what a chorus of shepherds who were the lowest of the low in that particular society. Society. The only witnesses were what? Were not nobles. The witnesses were not princes. They were sheep and goats and cows and chickens in the midst of manure. And if that wasn't low enough, then what? Then think about the coronation of Jesus when he rides, what, into Jerusalem on a little donkey, humbly and meekly. 
Think of this. According to the flesh, Jesus was what? According to outward appearance, Jesus was poor. He was passed over. He was unimpressive. And he was uninviting in every single way. The only description that we have of Jesus' physical appearance is from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53, 600 years before Jesus was even born. The only description. We've all seen pictures and paintings of Jesus. And the only description that we have is that he was of, quote, no stately form. Which means what? He was not going to be the homecoming king for Friday night. He was not going to appear on the cover of a magazine for his studly looks. Physically, Jesus was what? Completely passed over. Unimpressive and uninviting. His crown, think of this was not made of gold and aligned with precious stones. His crown was thorns. Pelores spina Christi, probably what is referred to as the Jerusalem thorn today. It grows everywhere, short, razor sharp thorns that were wrapped into the shape of a crown and pressed down onto his head, piercing his skin. His scepter was not diamond studded. It was, a, it was a reed picked from what? Probably the, the, the bank of some stream. His robe was not embroidered with tassels and with lace. It was, it was torn. It was, it was blood-soaked scarlet rag. His tomb was not carved from granite and engraved. It was a borrowed hole in the wall, a cave. Now why? <clears throat> why was all of this so ugly? Why was the arrival of Jesus so, so bloody and dirty and painful and pathetic and forgotten? Why, why did Paul, alongside with so many other people, actually see the suffering death of Jesus as the curse of God? Why was all of this so different than what we would expect? The arrival of Jesus, why is it it's all upside down? Why is it unique from what a king or a conqueror's arrival should be? Why? Because the purpose of God sending his son was not, was not to conquer a society. The purpose that God sent his son was not to topple a government and to bring social reform. The purpose that God sent his son Jesus was not to bring physical blessing. The purpose of God sending his son was not to make your life easy. Sorry to say that, but that's the truth. Jesus came with one purpose, to conquer sin and death and bring spiritual healing and eternal life. Reconciliation between a holy God 
and sinful man. That's why Jesus came. We're, we're reminded of how upside down this is because the kingdom of God is nothing like the kingdom of man. Adjust your thinking. We know that the ways of God are not like the way that you and I think. We know what? That the word of God states, we looked at this recently, we are to walk by faith and not by sight. And we know that the work of God is to change mankind from the inside out, not the outside in. When we admit the fact that we've got to come to a place of understanding we are broken sinners. When we what? Believe. That the Lord Jesus Christ was the only one who could pay the price for your sin and for my sin. When we confess that in faith, we know that Jesus is what? The Savior. And we commit to follow the Lord in full obedience. Then what is happening is that we come with a whole, whole new way of thinking. We come up with a whole new way of living. Which brings us what? To you. To your life. To your living your way of thinking, which is what? <clears throat> Two points I want to give to you this morning very quickly and very clearly. The secret is out. Number one, the secret is out. Here it is. If anyone is in Christ, he is or she is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation. If, if, you grammar scholars and English experts, if is a conjugation, meaning in the event of. It usually implies what we refer to as a conditional meaning. And we help learn this or understand this by looking at the flip side of it. If one is not in Christ, he or she is not a new creation. Meaning what? Where's the focus here? Meaning what? The focus, the object, the subject, Christ is key. Christ is the only one that brings newness in your life. Christ is the only one who brings newness in your life. Yeah, but I'm, I'm working on, I read a new book, and I'm working on a new diet. And I got some, I got some good things happening. I'm not like I used to be. I enrolled into a, a new class, and, and I, got, I got a lot of just, it's just a lot of positive stuff, and I got good vibes flowing through me. Stop, just stop, just stop right there. What does it say? If anyone is in Christ, which means that if you are trying to be in anything else other than God, you're placing your hope. For any kind of newness and change in your life, apart from Christ, then guess what? You just bought the snake oil. 
If you think that newness, a change of life, a change of direction is going to happen in any other way apart from Christ, you just bit the hook. You ate the bait. You're believing a lie. Why? Because this expression, in Christ, sums up as briefly and profoundly as possible, as Philip Hughes writes, and I love this, the inexhaustible significance of man's redemption in Christ. It's where everything rises and falls for our life. For it is only, it is only what? Upon what Christ Jesus has done. His atoning work on the cross, paying for all sin, offering us justification, declaring us righteous before a holy God. That's what happened at the crucifixion. That's how we become a new creation in Christ. We know that it's only upon Christ's miraculous act of raising from the tomb, offering us, what, new life and new hope. That's what happened, what, at the resurrection. That's how we become a new creation in Christ. And today, upon placing our faith in Jesus Christ and his full and finished work that was accomplished on the cross and in the tomb, that begins what? Begins that journey of, of setting us apart. That process of sanctification that we are on, this, this journey that we know is going to end at a point of glorification when we are with the Lord. When we understand that, that that's being in Christ, that's freeing us forever from the law of sin and death. You know what I think as well is one of the most incredible words in this phrase is the word anyone. Anyone. Did a lot of study on that one word, anyone, and this is, this is really what it means. Anyone. It means literally, it translates any person at all. I, I know what you're thinking, okay? One step ahead of you, because I, I thought about it. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, but I, I know some pretty bad dudes. Like, I read some things that people have done, and it's really bad. Matter of fact, I know a couple people, and I've seen, I've actually seen them do some bad things. Or what? Some of you are saying, I, I got a neighbor, and I think maybe there's some bad things going on over there. At some level, that, that's automatically how we begin to go. Please hear me. Please, please do not. When you hear that phrase, anyone, do not point your fingers at anyone else. Instead, I ask you and implore you, you pray for them. Don't begin to point fingers at the, yeah, but I heard, and I, and I think, don't point, but pray, and you point at your own heart. Because do you realize next week we're going to talk about the fact that we'll get into our role, that we have a ministry of reconciliation, that we are to be ambassadors for Christ. Today, what we need to hold on to, we'll get to that next week. Today, we have to remember what? As Jeremiah says, that my heart is deceitful. So is your heart. And it is desperately wicked. And we know the truth, as Solomon wrote, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Well, you may have hopefully never killed anyone before, 
with your hands. But you know what? You've had anger in your heart towards someone. What Matthew 5, Jesus teaches of is that you are then guilty of that murder. I mean, I killed someone with my hands, but I certainly murdered someone in the depths of my heart, which means what? Not one of us, not one of us deserves forgiveness. Not one of us deserves to be rescued. Not one of us deserves redemption. Not one of us deserves salvation. But thankfully, we know God so loved. Therefore, anyone is welcome, which means no one is beyond the reach of Jesus. Not even you. Because some of you this morning are sitting there and saying, if, if you really know what goes on in my heart, if you really knew what I was struggling with, I am so unworthy. No, God's love reaches. God love saves. It says here, if anyone, you see, this whole idea of a new creation speaks of acceptance in him with whom God is well pleased. Just pause on this. You are accepted. Just, just pause on that for a moment. Just, just stop right there. There's no need for you to impress anybody. There's no need for you to try to excite or amaze God. There's no need for you to show off, to fake it until you make it. There's no need of that. Why? You are accepted. Think of this. You are chosen. I think it's one of the most encouraging and uplifting, warming and thrilling words when it comes to what? The doctrine of our own salvation that God has done for us. We have chosen. It says this in Ephesians chapter 1, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Like before God spoke any of this beauty into existence, he saw you and he says, I want you to be my own daughter. I choose you, come into my family to be my own son before the foundation of the world that we should be holy. And blameless, it means without spot, before him in love. That's what we are to be. We're just to be in love. You've been in love before. <gasps> oh, there she is. And it's just like, it just happens. Like, <gasps> that's where we are to get stuck on the goodness and the grace of God. A new creation also speaks of our assurance. Assurance for the future in him who is the resurrection and the life. To think that what I, I am, I am assured that no matter what, this old breaking, broken down, worn out body will be resurrected. In a world that there is nothing, nothing assured other than more chaos and more confusion. You and I can be assured what? We're given another promise. We're given a better promise. Jesus Christ himself says in John chapter 10, verse 28, I give them eternal life. Just give. They will never perish. I love this. No one will snatch them out of my hand. You know what that means? It means that you can't take yourself 
out of God's hand. You see, salvation is an act of God. It's a work of God. It's just our faith and our trust. So that we are assured, we are assured, what, of nothing other than the fact that I know that when we put our faith and our trust in the full finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, he accomplished on the cross in the tomb and we are held in his hand. There is nothing, there's no one, there's nothing that you can do to remove yourself from the assurance of salvation. Being in Christ, what a new creation Christ speaks of our inheritance. Inheritance of glory in him, in him who is the only begotten son, the sole heir of God. Which means that it's not just yours, but it's yours and no one's ever going to take it from you. Which means that what? It's not it's not going to get old. It's not going to be kind of thrown into the corner. It's not going to be piled high with the other broken toys in the toy box. I'm tired of that. It's not going to be thrown as yet another pair of shoes in a massive closet filled with old shoes because we're tired of them. We're never going to get tired of this inheritance. First Peter describes it like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance. That's what you and I gain that is imperishable. Everything that we have wears out, wears down, rusts. We're going to be gifted an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept. It's kept in heaven. Underline these words in First Peter chapter 1. For you. This is kept for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you see? Do you see? The blessing, the secret is out. If anyone is in Christ. He is. She is a new creation. Secondly and finally, the hope is real. Listen to this. The old has passed away. Behold. That's an attention getter. Behold. Look. Behold. Listen to this. The new has come. The old, that's the old things. That's, that's the way that we used to live. That's our, our old selfishness, our old carnal views. That's our old nature, our old way of thinking, our old way of living, our old understanding of success and failure, our old interests, our old passions, the old way that we used to live, the old things we used to long for and live for and lust for that we thought was going to give us happiness. All of those old things passed away. It's hard because we've been enjoying an incredible summer. But one commentator talks about this by way of an image or a picture that I like of what it looks like to pass away. He says this, and I quote, pass away spontaneously like the snow of early spring, melting away before the advancing sun. So that's, that's what it looks like. You know how, like in the morning, it's like, oh, it's snow. But it is pretty, like 
for eight seconds. And then, and then the sun comes up, and it's like, where, where'd it go? It's gone. It was just here. And it's melted away. It's gone. And it says that we become a new creation. That is what? That is a new nature that has been placed with inside of you. It carries with it the idea of rebirth, of being reborn. That's exactly what Jesus when Nicodemus came to him, he says, like, I, don't, I don't get this. What do you mean? Like, I can't, I can't go back to mama. What do you mean by that? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. New creation, sparkly. It smells new. We love that. And now what is the result? What is the effect You are, and I am, as Romans chapter 6, verse 13 says, we are to present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. That as a result, every day we present ourselves back to God, knowing that we were once dead. We were brought from death to life. Let me ask you this. Do you live like that? Like, do you do that? Do do you live accordingly, victoriously? Do you live every single day believing and trusting and telling and inviting and shining? Or, Or do you live defeated? Do you live discouraged and and stuck? Just stuck in the old ways, stuck in the past, paralyzed, purposeless. This morning, I invite you, I invite you to search your own heart, to allow and listen to the Holy Spirit. Some of you are wrestling with, I'm just stuck in the old. It's been no different. And, and this morning, I invite you to take that step of faith and place yourself in Christ. And trust him to put away the old. He does the work of salvation. We just, what? We just collapse into his open, loving arms. And live in the newness of Christ's all-sufficient work of salvation. In your notes, hopefully you picked up your notes, there's a verse there, and it's by design. And I want you to just pause on this. I want you to ponder this. I want every single one of you, even little ones, I want you to pause and, and ponder and give thoughts and attention to this amazing truth from Scripture. As a new creation in Christ, I am blank. And it's blank. You fill in the blank. Before you, before you put your head on your cozy little pillow tonight, fill in that blank. Find a pen, pencil, 
As a new creation in Christ, I am. This week, just because I've been, that thought has been ruminating in my mind, in, in several different settings, I was asking people, hey, you know, as a believer, as a new creation in Christ, you are what? Just fill in the blank. And I said, can I, can I write that down? And I did that. Could, could, I, could I just read to you what some people, I, I just asked. I'm like, okay, as a new creation in Christ, I am what? Free. Several people. First thing, I'm just free. I'm free from I'm, what I used to be. Brandon and Rochelle and, and Joel and, and Pastor Stewart said, I'm just free from the past. Amy says, what is new creation in Christ? I am alive in him. Chip, a friend of ours in Japan, says this, and I quote, as a new creation in Christ, I am saved, I am satisfied, I am rich, and I am happy. Alina says what? As a new creation in Christ, I am born again. As a new creation in Christ, I know a woman, her name is Wendy, she's a pastor's wife, and she said, I'm a little less mouthy than I used to be. I actually was talking to my mom this week on the phone. I said, hey, mom, as new creation in Christ, what are you? And she said this. This is a retired missionary, a mother, a grandmother, a great-grandmother, 77 years old. And she says, I am looking forward to what God has in store for me. As a new creation in Christ, I'm just looking forward. Amanda says, I am alive Eric says, I am so thankful and so undeserving. Norm says, what I am committed to share with others, the hope of eternity that I have been given. Craig says, what is new creation in Christ? I am complete in Christ. I am at peace with who I am and what I have. Evan says, I am forgiven and blessed. Rich says, I am treated better than I deserve to be treated. Zane says, as a new creation in Christ, I am grateful. I'm no longer on a path to destruction. Helen says, as a new creation in Christ, I am redeemed. Sierra says, as a new creation in Christ, I am saved by grace alone, through faith alone. Jim says, as a new creation in Christ, I am righteous before God. The, the, the list is long. Today, I want you to think about that. As a new creation in Christ, I am, and just fill in that blank. And some of you, some of you sitting here today, some of you listening to this message, will not be able to put anything in that blank because you know, you know, you're not a new creation in Christ. You know that you're still living in the old past. You're still longing for and lusting for and looking for some kind of success in secret to happiness to make it through life. Today, I invite you. Recognize the fact that you are a broken sinner at best. So am I. But God loves you so much. He sent his only son that when you put your faith and your trust in him, in him, in Christ. Lord, I'm yours. Then we know what? The old has passed away. And behold, the new has come. If you want to talk more, if you have a question about that, please, please do not leave here this morning 
without grabbing someone and saying, what does it mean? I need help to be in Christ. And anyone around here would help you with that question. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we are so amazed with who you are, your goodness and your grace. We are thrilled that you love us when we are most unlovable. Thank you for the hope and the newness that comes when we are in Christ. I pray, Lord, right now, if there's a person that that does not know, that is still wrestling in the old, that today, as your word says, would be the day of salvation. Draw them, call them unto you. Thank you, Lord, for this time we've had. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In your name we pray.